Well, good morning once again. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, this is the time in the church year that we, uh, or this is the end of the church year, excuse me, and uh, usually around this time of year, we talk a little bit about uh, Jesus' return. And then it all starts over next week when we start talking about Jesus coming for the first time. Um, now, interestingly enough, um, the Bible, or the New Testament, I should say, talks a little bit about the return of Jesus. It's not a lot. And it's probably not as much as people expect. Um, and maybe even weirder still, uh, the New Testament writers um, don't talk a ton about what happens after you die. They're just not that interested in it, which is surprising for us because, uh, especially in the modern world, that that's, uh, seems to be a little bit more important. But uh, the New Testament writers, uh, they're dealing with other things, shall we say. And in fact, one way to look at the New Testament, um, and especially uh, the different, you know, looking at the different, uh, or the content of the different writings, uh, you get a sense that these authors are trying to come to terms with or understand what it means to have a Messiah, so the one that they've been waiting for, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, uh, who died. Because out of all of the different opinions about what Messiah would look like and what it would be like for him to come and what he would accomplish, nobody thought that he was going to die. But even more so, they are trying to understand what it means for the Messiah to be raised from the dead. Because if nobody sees uh, his death coming, then doubly so, nobody sees the, the, the fact that he's going to be raised from the dead seemingly ahead of this last final day when God raises everybody from the dead, some to life and some to judgment. Um, and so, it, I mean, we, we operate under the assumption because we kind of had, or we do have, 2,000 years of retrospect. Um, but not so for these uh, first Christian writers. Um, so when we talk about Jesus' return, I think it ne we need to have a little bit of that bouncing around in our heads um, because it's not really clear what exactly it's going to look like. And you also get a sense that Jesus has no interest in laying out the specifics. Now, in this section in the book of Matthew, um, and this part certainly is about Jesus' second coming, his, his return, and, and kind of the culmination of all things. Um, so kind of scattered throughout this section is a bunch of other things that sound like the end of the world. And yet, if you look at the broad picture of the entirety of the biblical narrative, you realize that this isn't about the end of the world because what God is more interested in and he accomplishes through Jesus is actually the renewal of the world. Because to just end the world is to 
maybe admit to a mistake, like a project that you start putting together and you realize it's coming, going terribly, you finally say, enough, and then you throw it away. That's not how God views his creation. He is interested in renewing it, restoring it. Which, by the way, begins the moment that death is defeated and Jesus lives again. These things are all connected. Um, but anyway, in some of this, uh, these parts, if you ever go back and read this section of Matthew, um, some of it is about Jesus' return. Some of it sounds like it's about the great you know, destruction of the earth, but it's actually Jesus as a prophet predicting the end of Jerusalem, the holy city, and its temple, the sacred space. And Jesus was absolutely right. This happens about a generation later. Uh, all that to say, it's complicated. Um, now, in this particular section... As Jesus talks about the Son of Man coming in His glory and sitting on a throne. Uh, and then a little bit later, He mentions a king. He's actually referring to Himself, which is kind of interesting. But you also get this weird sense that Jesus seems to hate goats. Um, go figure. Um, now, as it turns out, Jesus doesn't hate goats as far as I'm aware. Uh, but what He's doing is He's using an image or an analogy that would have been understood by the people who were hearing this. Um, I did a little digging, and as it turns out, uh, in this region or these regions uh, around this time in history, uh, your flock would, um, or the, what your flock would actually have in it, it was kind of dependent on what land you had available to you to graze. Uh, if you had like really quality grass then, and grasslands, then you'd probably keep sheep. If you had a mixture of like grass and like scrubland, a little harsher, uh, harsher stuff, not quite as lush, then you would, for economic reasons, will will have some sheep, but then you would also have goats. Uh, and that's not because goats are bad. It's because sheep are a little more delicate, a little more picky eaters, and goats will eat absolutely everything and anything. Now, I'm a California city boy. Um, my experience with goats is pretty limited to like petting zoos. And even then, they try to eat everything. Um, so at some point, you've got to make some separations, especially if you're going to sell some of your livestock off. And uh, as it turns out, goats are not necessarily inferior because they apparently, I'm, I learned all kinds of things this week, uh, goats can produce, if you do it right, more milk than the sheep could. So there's economic reasons to keep goats, but you got to separate them out at some point. And it's a lot of you over there, this one over there, you, this one over there, you know, so on and so forth. Jesus is not making, he's not calling people sheep and goats, he's just drawing an analogy. This is not, as it turns out, a parable. But he will have to make some division. Make some decisions. Um, I'm going to point out a couple of things in this, uh, in, in Jesus, out of Jesus' words here. And what they're going to do, or what I point out, is, is actually going to muddy the waters a little bit. It's probably going to raise more questions than it does provide answers. And then I'm not going to answer them. In part because we just don't have the time. <laughs> um, but also because there are some pitfalls or there's some dangers when, we're, when we talk about the coming of Jesus and coming judgment. Um, 
So first off, actually, I've already pointed one thing out. Jesus doesn't hate goats. Um, Now, secondly, we have a tendency to read this as uh, Jesus commanding his followers to care for those in need. Um, And at one level, it is. That there is, like, and Jesus always teaches at multiple levels. Uh, at, at, at one level, it's clear that that is a value for those who follow Jesus. And by all means, do that. Uh, that is part of our very rich 2,000-year history, is caring for those in need, providing food to those who have none, shelter for those who have none, clothes for those who have none, period. Do that. It's part of us. Uh, As it turns out, there's a turn of phrase that Jesus uses that suggests he has something else in mind too that may actually supersede the other. Because he says uh, to the sheep, you know, metaphorical sheep, uh, whatever you did for the least of these my brothers, and I would actually translate that my brothers and sisters, gender is kind of weird in Greek, And uh, curiously, the only time Jesus refers to people as his siblings, my brothers, brothers and sisters, are uh, to refer to either his disciples or those who hear the word of God and do it. In other words, uh, the least of my brothers, or brothers and sisters, is actually a reference to his followers, not strictly speaking, those who are in need, the poor, the, the oppressed, and so on. Now, at one level it does, but Jesus doesn't, or he is not saying, if you want to make it into the kingdom of God and avoid judgment, make sure you are doing these things for these kinds of people. And that's actually really good news. Um, because that invites another question. Uh, Have I done enough? Have I served enough people? Have I given food to enough people? Have I ministered to uh, enough people? Have I visited enough people who are sick? And so on and so forth. And the word enough is spiritual poison. It will choke you out. Have I done enough? And I think, especially given that our tradition is Lutheran, we can all agree that that, is a not, that, that that doesn't work. We don't ask, have I done enough to earn my way into God's favor? In fact, that's just not how the New Testament works. So Jesus must mean something different. And it seems like it has something to do with the, those who, who are labeled as sheep, metaphorically, uh, are, are, are those who welcome in and care for Jesus' followers, or his ministers, his disciples, apostles. It's something like that. In other words, there's, there, there are some more things going on here. This passage is not as clear as we'd like it to be, which is typical of Jesus. But I don't want to talk necessarily, I don't want to flesh out a bunch of details today. Because what I want to focus on is this idea of Jesus coming in judgment. 
And we, will, we confess in our creeds that Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And when we talk about judgment, uh, it can get kind of uncomfortable. Because in my own observation, um, judgment, uh, the, the idea of Jesus coming as judge will evoke a couple of responses. Uh, and I've got two in particular in mind. On the one hand, it will come as not just judgment, but judgmental. Now, just by virtue of the fact that you are here in church, this is probably not you. Could be, but statistically speaking, shall we say, it's probably not you. But uh, now, and I haven't seen this in Albuquerque yet. I'm sure it exists. Uh, I would see this a lot in California and a few other places that I've lived, where whenever you'd get like a gathering of people at a concert or a sports event, uh, there would be like a guy with a megaphone and some sandwich boards that are saying, "You are going to hell, turn or burn," or something like that, and he'd be screaming at people with a megaphone. Uh, I don't know, again. I don't know if you have those that in Albuquerque, but I've seen it more times than I, I would like to, and they often single me out because I think I look like I need Jesus. Um, that's fine, you want to have a conversation, but you're going to regret that. Um, uh, or you'll see, like if you're driving, especially in the Midwest, you'll see on billboards of kind of a, a very sour, angry looking Jesus saying, you know, repent or die forever or something like that. And, and so when we hear the idea of Jesus coming as judge, it can evoke that, that sense of judgmentalism. And it, as a result, it, evokes the, uh, it invokes the reaction, or provokes, I should say, the reaction of, look, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I don't want, any, I, I don't want to get involved. No, thank you. The other side of the coin is that this idea of Jesus coming as judge uh, can be a little too exciting, a little too satisfying. And in fact, uh, it could um, end with the result of, of, of us getting super excited about Jesus coming and doing all the judging because it means he's going to judge the people that I don't like. Or to quote uh, the writer Anne Lamott, you know that you have created God in your own image if God hates all the same people that you do. This is a problem. So the idea uh, in this case would be, great, Jesus is going to come and judge. Get them. Notice it's always get them. Those people. The people I disagree with. The people that I don't like. So on and so forth. And, I, and I, I think there's a, a better way to talk about Jesus coming as judge and coming in judgment. Um, now, uh, in, uh, in Greek, uh, and yeah, uh, the word for judgment can often uh, also mean justice. Jesus comes, in this sense, to bring justice. I'm not trying to make the words of Jesus more palatable. I'm trying to make them more accurate. Because I think the, 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 the posture of the New Testament, of the earliest followers of Jesus, the people who knew him, 
is, is more aligned with the fact that God started something when he raised Jesus from the dead. That when Jesus died, he took on that sin. The things that make us deserving of God's judgment. The darkness within. Maybe even, if you want to get more specific, the judgmentalism we all as human beings carry. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he, he, what, he, what he started was this new creation, a restored creation. Humanity as humanity was always meant to be. The Apostle Paul will say that uh, creation longs for this process to finish so that it can breathe a sigh of relief at the revelation, uh, uh, the revealing of, of God's people as they were always meant to be. Life lived as it was meant to live, be lived in the presence of God. That this all started with Jesus. And very quickly, Jesus passed this along to his, his earliest followers. And from then on, uh, the history of our people, the, of, of followers of Jesus, has been one of living in new creation. Now, human beings being human, this has not always gone well. But it, the impact and the change for the better that the Christian church has had on the course of human history is palpable and undeniable. And it all begins with this moment when God defeats death itself. And he defeats death himself by the one, itself by the one who enters into our existence, who lives among us, lives as one of us, who understands mortality directly, who was willing to take the punishment for our sin and brokenness onto his own shoulders. In other words, he's been here. He gets it. I would argue that's who you want to be in the position of judge and justice bringer. The one who gets it. And so, yes, Jesus will come again as judge. And for some, for many, this can be a little uncomfortable. And I think it's supposed to be. But that does not mean that we as his followers, those who have been redeemed by him, who have received God's spirit when we were baptized, it does not mean that we will suddenly find ourselves on the out. Because Jesus has already brought us in. But it does mean that there are potentially some really uncomfortable things to say about those who are not in Jesus. Which is why one of the other things that the Christian church has done ever since its beginning is to spread the word. To, to preach this Jesus, this coming judge who is in fact the one who gave himself for us. Who then, uh, by the power of God, was raised from the dead and defeated death. And will someday, when he comes as judge or justice bringer, however you want to say it, will finish what he started and all of creation and those who are in him will 
breathed a sigh of relief and be who God had always created us to be. Now, for the judgment side, uh, to quote the uh, late, great Mike Iaconelli, given all that we know about God and all of the ways that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus and all of the ways he's shown us who he is over the course of the entire biblical narrative, um, on the one hand, judgment's a real thing. But on the other hand, given what we know, I, I think even the most uncomfortable acts of judgment on our part will still feel like mercy. And so our response is to preach Jesus, bring as many as we can, uh, who will then be welcomed into the kingdom and live in this new, renewed creation as it was always meant to be. Amen.